Beverly Yaros was murdered in her bedroom in the middle of the day while waiting for a friend to arrive. The killer brutally murdered her and then was able to slip away before her father discovered his deceased daughter's body. This was an intense killing that has remained unsolved for nearly 60 years, but it sure ain't for lack of trying. I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. On Christmas Day, 1964, in Garfield Heights, Ohio, 16-year-old Beverly Yarrow sat on the floor of her living room and unwrapped a beautiful brown leather journal. It had no markings or designs. It was simple and elegant. She flipped the blank pages, catching a whiff of that new book smell. She looked up at her father, her smile beaming, and he returned it. If you fill it with your poems, I'll send it to New York to have it published. Immediately, she started filling the book as she was a very gifted lyricist. But just days later, she was dead, and her poem book was left unfinished. The last time Beverly saw her father was the morning of the 28th, when she and her 12-year-old sister Carol headed over to her grandmother's house. They were still on holiday from school, but their parents were heading back to work. They had planned on spending most of the day with their grandmother, but Beverly also had made plans to go shopping with two of her girlfriends from school. So around noon, after having lunch, Beverly left her grandmother's house and headed back home to change before heading out with her friends. She had planned on meeting Barbara, one of her friends, at her house so they could head to the mall together. Barbara was going to meet her there around 12.30. As she was leaving her grandmother's, she was offered a ride by a young man who lived next door. He was known by the family, so she accepted. The 18-year-old says he drove her home and dropped her off and left immediately not even exiting the truck. Beverly went inside her house and called her mother, letting her know she was at the house and getting ready to go out with her friends. After her call with her mother ended, Beverly's phone rang. This time, it was her grandmother calling. She was checking to make sure Beverly had made it to the house safely. Bev spoke with her briefly, but then said she had to go, as Barbara had just arrived. While Beverly was waiting for Barbara to arrive, she received another call. The caller had left a message for Beverly's father to call him back. But the message was later found to be false, as the name and number the caller gave were made up. Barbara arrived at Beverly's house later than they had planned, around 1.25 p.m. When she first arrived, she noticed the sliding door was open, yet the storm door was shut and locked. A red flag already, since the temperature in Cleveland that day was around freezing. No one had their doors open. There was also obnoxiously loud classical music, which seemed to be coming from the living room. Barbara knocked on the door, and when she did, she heard what she later described to police as a loud thud upstairs, as if someone was moving furniture. Barbara waited on Beverly's porch for several minutes, but after a while, she began to think that Beverly was either standing her up, or maybe teasing her even for being late, and decided to head home. Just after arriving back at home, aggravated and somewhat embarrassed, Barbara's telephone rang, and it was Margie. Margie was Beverly's other friend, who they had planned to meet at the mall. She was waiting there, also beginning to believe that she too had been stood up. Barbara explained to Margie that she had attempted to meet up with Beverly. She told her about the open front door and loud music, and this concerned Margie. I believe she may have been aware of Beverly's would-be wooer. Either way, 
She contacted Beverly's grandmother and relayed her concern, which then caused Beverly's grandmother to panic. Of course, the way grandmothers do. Rightfully so. And she called her son Thaddeus, Beverly's dad, and asked him to come home immediately. The family's concerns, unfortunately, were well justified. Most people in Garfield Heights at the time didn't lock their doors at night. But in the Yarrow's house, they did. You see, Beverly had been very nervous about a growing infatuation that an unknown admirer seemed to have for her. This person appeared to be stalking Beverly, and she had recently become very concerned and oftentimes paranoid or jumpy. Leading up to this, the Yaros, the Yaroses had found a gift left on the back porch. It was a small box wrapped with a ribbon, and the tag was addressed to Beverly. The box contained a silver bracelet and ring, and said to be of pretty good quality. Many boys in the neighborhood were, let's say, infatuated with Beverly, but the proximity of this gift made her very uneasy. The house phone would also receive many daily hang-up calls, sometimes up to 10 or 12 a day. The caller would let the phone be answered and hang up if anyone other than Beverly picked up. If it was Beverly, the caller would just say nothing and listen. Beverly's dad had even chased a man who he found standing on the front lawn and staring at the bedroom window, which Beverly shared with her younger sister. Her dad gave chase, but the man was able to slip away after a few blocks. This put the family even more on edge, and they made sure to take extra precautions. They religiously locked their doors, not only at night, but while they were home during the day. They also made it a practice to keep in close contact with each other, which is why panic set in so quickly for Bev's grandmother and father. After speaking with his mother, he rushed straight home. He heard the music as soon as he pulled into the driveway and saw the sliding door open and knew something was amiss. He ran inside the front door calling for Beverly, hoping to hear her voice cry out and respond. He cut the music and dashed straight upstairs to Beverly's room, where he found a scene that was as horrifying as it was heartbreaking. His daughter was bound around her neck and ankles. Her clothes were ripped from her chest. She was dead and covered in blood. She had been brutally attacked. An autopsy later found that the cause of death was strangulation, but the coroner said that the 42 stab wounds she received to her neck and chest area would have also been fatal. She was not sexually assaulted, even though her blouse was ripped off. It may have been a result of the knife attack, or possible that the intruder was interrupted or startled by Barbara's arrival and fled prematurely. Immediately, the young man who gave Beverly a ride home was brought in for questioning, of course, along with her current and past boyfriend. All of the men who were questioned were eventually cleared and released. The knife used to kill Beverly was never found, and the clothesline that was used to tie her up was never tracked to any of the nearby homes. Police did determine by the knots that were tied in the rope, though, that the fact that it appeared that the killer had brought it with him. So that meant that the murder was premeditated, at least to some degree. Beverly had changed her plans that day, and the only people who knew of them were the girls and Bev's family. Was someone watching her? Is that how they knew she was home alone? Over the years, police have tried to use DNA to match a suspect, but due to the handling of the original crime scene, closure of the case via viable evidence is not likely. Police believe at this point the only way this case will be solved 
is with the witness testimony or confession. Beverly's father remained in the family home, following a divorce, and he left everything of Beverly's untouched, just in case Jury ever needed to visit. And that was all the way up until his death in 2012, at the age of 90 years old. Beverly's mother lived to be 92 and passed in 2018, but not before receiving an amazing bit of closure. She was able to witness Beverly's poet dreams accomplished. With the help of her little sister, her poems have been published in a book titled Unfulfilled, a book of the poetry of Beverly Yaros. Here's an example of her writing, a snippet from a poem entitled Thoughts on Life. From out of the depths of my soul, there arises a certain fear. What if I should die within the next year? Life, for me, has just begun. All my dreams would be unfulfilled, all my work left undone, all my goals unreached. My life would have been in vain. Beverly's life was not in vain. No one's life is. She meant a lot to many people and her death affected them forever. She was a talented lyricist whose voice was violently silenced. But thanks to this book and her family, we get to hear the beautifully preserved lines that Beverly intended to be her first work, but instead, it proved to be her final. The only hope that Beverly's case will ever be resolved is if a confession is given or a witness comes forth. Police do have very viable suspects, but just do not have enough for a conviction. If you have any information regarding the case, please contact Garfield Heights Police Department at 216-475-5686. It's 216-475-5686. You know, as far as unsolved cases go, this is one of the most aggravating ones I think I've covered. It's, it happened so long ago, and that is the only thing that's keeping this from being unsolved. There's no way this murder happens, I think, even in the 80s and doesn't go unsolved. But the fact that it was mid-60s and where we were with DNA and forensic evidence, we just weren't there. We just weren't there, and this person covered their tracks. They took the murder weapon. They probably wore gloves. They wore probably even wore a mask. They were watching her. They knew she was home alone. Um you know, there was no ring doorbells at the time. There was no cell phones. Everybody, you know, nosy neighbors could have been filming these weird people. You could have got a picture of the guy standing in your yard. But because it's 1964, there's nothing. There's nothing. I think this is one of those cases that somebody just got away with. It's god awful and it's terrifying. It's terrifying. It's every parent's worst nightmare. Um, it's every, God, it's, it's just every person's worst nightmare to be attacked in the safety of their home, to be watched, to be sur surveilled all the time. Someone is constantly calling your phone. They know when you're at home, when you pick up, right? When they hear your voice. That's terrifying. It's terrifying. I mean, my money is on the guy that uh, dad had to chase down the street that was standing in the front yard because he'll go to the point where he can stand in the yard and stare in the window that motherfucker is thinking about going further than that. Whoever that guy is, you got to track that motherfucker down. Because he is the culprit. He did it. I'm calling it. It's the kid in the yard. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Who knows? Like, uh, 
you know, like I said, a lot of my research told me that Beverly was quite the looker, and I guess a lot of the neighborhood boys were infatuated with her. Um, and so, you know, the kid standing in her yard, who knows? That could have been just some kid trying to get up the courage to go knock on the door. Then dad comes out, and he's like, oh, shit, he panics, he runs, right? I realize I'm being creepy now, but who knows? I mean, that's about the most innocent way I think you could look at that person. I'm still, I still think it's that guy. All right. <laughs> enough about me, enough about my opinion. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this case. I wish, like I said, I wish there was more, but that doesn't stop me from shedding light on these lesser known cases. And uh, yeah, there's only uh, one more thing to do, and you know what it is. We got to check in with our buddy Lauren. All right. See you on the other side, guys. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here, here to get my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained, a 56-year-old unsolved mystery from Cleveland, Ohio, the brutal murder of 16-year-old Beverly Jaraz, who on December 28, 1964, was enjoying her Christmas break. Um, her parents were gone off to work, both of them, and it was just her and her younger sister, Carol, tending to the home that day. They decided to take a short walk to their grandmother's house, which was about a mile away. Beverly planned to leave her younger sister there so that she could go hang out with a couple of friends. Um, so she left at about 1 p.m. from her grandmother's house, leaving her younger sister there. And an 18-year-old neighbor of her grandmother uh, offered her a ride. So she gets a ride home from this 18-year-old neighbor of her grandmother. And uh, arriving home, she receives a call uh, at their family home from a man that's asking for her father. The caller would identify himself as Stephen Stankowitz. However, this would later be determined to be a fake name. And this was the apparent killer who would show up soon after to her home. Um, now, her friend Barbara would arrive at 125 to pick her up. Um, knocking at the door, she would hear a large, uh, loud thud, thud upstairs. Uh, she said it sounded like a dresser falling over. Um, she wasn't sure if uh, maybe uh, Beverly was messing with her or what was going on. She was a little weirded out, and she went home. There, she would tell her parents about what she had witnessed, and they would urge her to call Beverly's grandmother which they did. Beverly's grandmother then called uh, Beverly's father, Thaddeus, who would leave work and arrive in the early, early afternoon um, to find loud music playing inside the house. Um, he went upstairs and found just an absolute, uh, just horrible thing to witness. Your daughter uh, tied up and murdered, having been stabbed over 40 times and uh, asphyxiated with a uh, a cord around her neck. The coroner would rule her death a strangulation, and um, they, the coroner also said that obviously the 40 stabs that she had, some of them to her face and neck and all over her body, uh, would have also caused her death. Uh, oddly, she was not sexually assaulted, which you would think would be the primary motivation for killing a young 16-year-old girl in this fashion. Um, however, in my opinion, that doesn't necessarily mean that the killer wasn't sexually motivated. The killer may have gotten off uh, may have been a sexual sadist and, you know, the knife acting as uh, penetration and it may have uh, 
ejaculated at the scene somewhere or something along those lines. I think this was sexually motivated. I think this was a person who was obsessed with Beverly, whether she knew this person or not. It, you know, there's speculation that because there was no forced entry into the home that she may have known the, the perpetrator and uh, let them inside. I don't think that's the case. She had been um, being stalked. There had been an odd gift left it on their doorstep, a gift, a, um, a jewelry box, uh, with a piece of jewelry inside. There was uh, a man that had been found in their front yard sometime before. The father had actually chased him. Um, the, per- the man had been staring up into Beverly's window. Um, there was a ma- uh, also a tall, skinny man who had been seen uh, in a store following her around by a security guard had seen this person and, and appearing to be angry, staring at Beverly. I think she had uh, a stalker. Maybe she had met this person one time. Um, Maybe she had never met this person. I don't think she knew the perpetrator. Um, and I think this perpetrator became obsessed with her and had learned her family's routines, had learned her routine, had been watching as her parents left for work on that day, had called the house after she arrived back from a nearby phone um, just to make sure that it was only her alone and then I think ambushed her. Um, I think maybe was um, lying in wait nearby and... Uh, maybe had even uh, gained access to the home prior in the day, uh, left a window open, left the door unlocked, something along those lines, had gotten inside and ambushed her. Um, I know there was a list of suspects. I know there was a suspect named Harry that had actually confessed and said some dis- disturbing things involving, have you know, when I find myself disturbed, I find a knife in my hand, something along those lines. Later recanted his confession. Um, and to this day, this is still unsolved. However, they, uh, the police have still um, been trying to link the DNA from that jewelry box. Um, they've been trying to use genealogy. Um, I, I'd like to see them locate this hairy person who had confessed at one point, obtain DNA. I don't know if they uh, ever did test his DNA versus the, the DNA on the jewelry box, if he's still alive or not. The suspect would likely be um, in their 70s or 80s at this point. Um, such an old case. A lot of the people around surrounding, like uh, um, her parents, for instance, uh, have passed away. Um, as as we mentioned, you know, this case is 56 years old. Um, but yeah, I think with genealogy, with the help of modern technology, we're seeing so many cold case uh, cold cases get solved whenever there's DNA, whenever they have a, a potential killer's DNA held. Um, even after all these years, they can load it into the database. Um, and start getting to work, you know, linking family trees uh, to that DNA and get suspects, see who was in, living in the area at the time who could have been a potential suspect. I think this person's going to get caught. Um, and hopefully uh, it does get solved and gives some closure. Um, I know that uh, her, her sister um, is still, you know, is still really uh, thinks about her every day, Beverly's sister. Um, of course, you know, she was with her on that day. And uh, it would be great to get some closure to what family she has left and know what happened that day. And and maybe if this sick bastard is still alive, put them behind bars for the final days of their life. Yeah, that's my thoughts. Hope you guys enjoyed it. See you next week. Okay, that's it. I changed my I changed my opinion. It's the guy in the gas station. It's got to be the guy in the gas station that was walking her around, mean mugging her. Security guard saw her. Who knows? Nah, that could have just been some angry dude who just knew that he had no chance with her, so he immediately thinks she's stuck up. Or maybe he held the door and smiled 
at her and she just walked in and said thank you and <laughs> didn't be overly polite to him. So he had a bad day. I don't know. Um, like Lauren alluded to, uh, there's there was a lot of possible suspects in the case of Beverly Yaros. She was uh, she was very noticed in their town. That's for sure. She was very noticed. So, but yeah, I would love to see some of these DNA tested. I mean, especially the people that you questioned. Those people should still be on file, right? Let's run their DNA now. <laughs> Even the guy that just took her home and dropped her off. Even him. Um, likely that they're all dead, though. Um, because I think this attack was probably not by a young man Beverly's age. I believe this was a much older suitor uh, for this attack. I just don't... I don't know. With the brutality of it, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think it was probably probably an older man that did this attack in the community. Who And that would be... You know, that would most likely put him, you know, late 80s, early 90s, if not past by now. So, um, but, you know, thinking about the 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 long lives that Beverly's parents lived, it makes this story even more tragic, as if I need to add any more tragedy to this. Um, but Beverly, with both parents living into the 90s, she, she had so much life ahead of her, so much life. But there it is, guys. That's all we could dig up on uh, Beverly Yaros. But, of course, we'll be keeping a close eye on this case as we're constantly searching for them in the news, you know, adding ourselves to subreddits involving all these cases. You know, it seems to be where news breaks the f uh, first, right? Freaking Reddit. Um, but anyways, uh, speaking of social media, guys, go give me a follow on social media at SNU Podcast anywhere you're at, Twitter, Instagram, um, fucking TikTok. I got a, a couple videos on TikTok, I think. Um, what else? Facebook. Yeah. So there's, it's out there. You can, that's a great way to submit a suggestion or request for a case, rather, whatever. Um, or you could email me at sandupodcast at gmail.com. Sandupodcast at gmail.com. Guys, uh, yeah. So thanks for listening. Just listening, subscribing, sharing episodes with friends. Great way to help the show. Um, if you want some extra content, you want to hear me a few more days a week, check out patreon.com slash podcast, and you guys will get access to another, well, no, on the $3 level, you'll get access to two other shows that I do. One being Strange Shorts, where I just tackle strange happenings, um, strange cases. Uh, it's usually a little more lighthearted, and um, it, there's not as much information on it, so I get to free ball and make jokes and be stupid, you know, it's, it's a little more free platform, even more than this, <laughs> if you can imagine, um, and then also, I have another show that I do every other week, every other Saturday, I release Higher Thoughts, and Higher Thoughts, um, well, I, I, I can't really explain it, I can't really explain it, but, um, it's something different every time, for sure, it's definitely a good palate cleanser, uh, remember that if you've been listening since the early episodes I started doing a palate cleanser and I told you guys some stuff will stick some stuff won't palate cleanser wasn't my deal and then I realized I had a palate cleanser all along it was called higher thoughts season one is on patreon.com slash true crime guys our other podcast that you can listen to wherever you listen um, that podcast has been around for what four and a half years now so and Sandu is just a little over a year old we're trucking we're trucking here we're the baby of true crime guys 
but we're, we're booking it. We're booking it. But uh, thank you guys for all your support. You can find links to everything True Crime Guys right below this episode description. Well, we got everything for merch, YouTube channels. We got an album on Spotify. All of that is down there in the True Crime Guys link tree. So go check that out, guys. We appreciate your support. Tell a friend. And remember, be strange. Just don't be that gum strangers. All right. See you next week.